Priscilla, we're going to talk about two things that many people consider the holy grail of marriage. Oh, no. Is this sex night? Well, no. <laughs> we're going to talk about on this episode, we're going to talk about date night. Which involves sex night. Usually it involves sex night, too. And we're also going to talk about the so-called 30-day sex challenge. Which always seems to come up right Valentine's. Well, they're trying to get everything worked out for the big day. But, you know, many couples we talk to are having tons of date nights and maybe even 30-day sex challenge, and they've still got a lot of problems. Well, I know that date night didn't fix our marriage. It sure didn't. And on this podcast, we're going to share with you why things like date night and the 30-day sex challenge have no power to change your marriage. And we're going to give you an alternative we think is going to help you much more. Hi, this is Phil and Priscilla Fretwell here with Savage Marriage. We're going to talk about how God is healing and restoring marriages today from betrayal, addictions, and the wounds of their past. And what He did in our marriage, He can do in yours too. Priscilla, when we got married, I remember somebody telling me I needed to make sure I set aside date night with you. And... You know, I, I don't remember a lot about that, but I remember that was kind of the mantra. Do you remember all that? Oh, yeah. I mean, that was really popular in our young couples group at church. Everybody had a date night, and it was like, this is going to be the key. But, you know, I think in our minds, what it did is it took us back to before we were dating. Uh, you, so we didn't have any responsibilities. We had fun. We ex had excitement. And everybody wanted, wants to go back to that time in your life, right? Right. And relive those dating moments. So date night really sounded sounded pretty good to me. Yeah, but, you know, over time, what we saw was it became a routine. Yeah. This is what is expected. And I know that with, with us, we had three kids in three years, right? Yeah. So we were having a lot of sex, okay, if you have three kids in three <laughs> years. But, but the thing is, is that... um. To me, date night became a thing of, okay, get a babysitter. I'm free for a couple, a few hours, and yeah. you know this is going to be good. I get a great dinner, and uh, I'm free. And yeah. then there's sex at the end. At the end, that's what's expected. It's kind of <laughs> like the vending machine, right? Keep going back to the vending machine. Yeah, put in a dinner and you know some time, <laughs> and out pop sex at the end of the night. Yeah, but it probably didn't make you feel so good about all that. I don't think we ever really focused on us. Mm -hmm. As much as we focused on logistics and what needed to be done, what what our kids were doing. I think for most couples, date night eventually regresses to routine. Logistics, what am I going to do tomorrow, and all that type of stuff. What's funny is when you're out now, you see a lot of couples, and what they're doing is they're on their phone. Yeah. You know, they're just spending they're, time on the phone and not really talking to not one Not talking. So why do you think this mantra of date night is so prevalent among couples? Because we hear this from everybody, right? Yeah, we do. And I think that the promise of date night is that there's going to be emotional intimacy. Yeah. And that this emotional intimacy is somehow going to fix our problems, big and small. Well, you know, I think date nights are supposed to be fun and inviting, and nobody really wants to bring up hard issues, right? No, it's not like, hey, we got issues and we need to talk about them. On yeah. date night? I yeah. don't think so. Yeah, because they want sex at the end. <laughs> yeah. <that's, laughs> right? That's, yeah. You know, you have date night for the outcome to be sex. Yeah. You know, I remember seeing an article recently about uh, a trend towards uh, finance dates and that nobody really wanted to do them. This was the hard date, right? So you have a date and now you're going to talk about your budget and stuff like that. 
And uh, th- they don't want to do that either, right? Because the date nights are supposed to be all fun, all f- all frolic and all that type of stuff. Well, we see that when sometimes we uh trying to arrange schedules with young couples that we're talking to and they go, well, that's our date night, so we can't meet then. And I'm like, but you have these big issues. Let's- yeah. And it's like, no, but date night's really important to us. Yeah, it it is really funny, right? Because we'll get into this and we're going through all their issues and their problems. And we're going on our side, wow, there is a lot. But they have religiously been doing date night and still they've got all these different problems. But, but, you know, we're not against date night. Uh, We think it's a good idea. We have date nights together. But what we have found is that date night, it won't fix your marriage. It's a false promise that centers around a humanistic, secular view that emotional intimacy will save your marriage. When your marriage is in trouble, the emotional intimacy is hardly there. Yeah. Right? You're wanting it to be there, but it's hardly there. Mm -hmm. And here you are, you're going to distract yourself with date night. You're not going to talk about the problems. You'll talk about what's good for dinner. Right. (laughs) Right. Or what we need to do. Yeah. you know, with our with our home or whatever, and you get distracted, you get sidelined with having date night and saying, hey, we're going to do all this activity, yet we're not working on what needs to be worked on. You're not having the hard conversation. Right, 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 right. right. So if emotional intimacy isn't going to fix the marriage, what about sexual intimacy? I mean, these are the two big things, right, that are out there. Well, you're talking about the so-called 30-day sex challenge. There's a difference between sexual activity and the sexual intimacy. And this is a focus on sexual activity, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Well, you know, that wasn't around when we first got married. But, you know, if it had been around, I probably would have thought that uh, was a good idea. And (laughs) I would not think it's a great idea. If I had asked you to do that, um, what would you have said? I would have said no. Really? Why? Well, I think that where we were in our marriage, I would have felt more that it was an obligation Mm -hmm. on top of the obligation that I already had as duty sex. And if you hadn't followed through, then I would have probably pouted and said, look at this, I'm trying to help our marriage and you won't even do your part. Yeah. I mean, this could help us. Yes. Right. I would have certainly said that. But, But, you know, there is a humanistic secular belief that sex is the fuel for your marriage. And if you believe that, then you will believe that if you have more fuel, you'll have a better marriage. Where do you think that whole thinking comes from, Priscilla? Well, it feels good. I mean, all those hormones in that moment are being released. But Mm -hmm. what you have is a broken relationship, a a marriage that is falling apart. Mm. And this is what you're relying on is the hormones that are being released that make you feel good for an instant, for a short time. But here, here your spouse is feeling resentment or unforgiveness, and you're trying to do this this challenge, this 30-day challenge. So whenever your spouse is feeling the resentment and unforgiveness, and they're kind of being forced into this 30-day challenge, or at least agreeing to it, right? Yeah. How does that make them feel? I think it makes them feel like a human receptacle, mm. that they're there to for a purpose of, do, of having duty sex. And I will say this is how I felt in the 28, mm-hmm. okay? I felt that a lot, and it's a very empty place to be. And I carried a lot of resentment for it because I felt like I was doing what the church asked me to do, what I heard mm-hmm. growing up, this is what you have to do, and never being at a place that I was a participant 
of wanting to engage in intimacy. Well, and I was a contributor to that because I believed that was your role. And so if you didn't fulfill that, I could pout legitimately because you owed that to me. Right. right? It became an obligation. Right. Yeah. I I mean, I think it goes back to what we said before. I felt like a vending machine. If I put this much effort into date night, this is what I'll get at the Mm. end. And in many relationships, the sex isn't any good for both partners, at least. And so it doesn't make sense that if you take something that's really not that good and you just do it more, now your marriage is going to be fixed, which is kind of like the the empty promise of the 30-day sex challenge. Yeah, I read uh, an article recently on the sex challenge, right, for 30 days, and a woman had heard her pastor talk about it. Her pastor also mentioned spiritual intimacy, emotional and physical intimacy. Well, she took that on, and she didn't say anything about the spiritual side, okay? okay? And she said, hey, we're going to do this. Things did not go well. It was one thing would go wrong upon another. Okay. And at one point, the husband said, you know, I think I've had enough of this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because, and they actually said they both got tired of it. Yeah. And bored. And so it's kind of like, it's it didn't work for them. The fact is that when the marriage relationship starts breaking down, sex is really the first thing to go. It's the smallest area. If you think of our marriage being boxes, right? The The smallest box is sex. Yeah. And it's the first thing to go. Mm-hmm. And then it's going to be the emotional and then it's going to be the spiritual box. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which really brings us to the big question. So what is an intimate marriage? Because we've just talked about the two big things everybody says is going to fix your marriage. Uh, o- emotional intimacy through date nights and sexual intimacy. But we're really leaving out the fuel or the glue that holds a marriage together. And that's the spiritual intimacy. We're not talking about just our relationship, talking about God, you know. We're talking about spiritual intimacy with one another, and there's all sorts of intimacy. There could be intellectual intimacy. There could be sports intimacy, like we all— We play tennis together. Yeah, we play we, we play tennis together, or cooking intimacy, if that's what's an activity you want to yeah. have with somebody. Traveling, but, whatever it is. Right. Mm-hmm. But if we don't have the spiritual intimacy with one another, we don't have anything. Yeah, many years ago, uh, when I was single, I remember hearing a pastor say that he thought very few couples were actually spiritually intimate with each other. And back then I was single. I really had no clue what he was saying other than I thought, wow, that is really interesting. I'm going to tuck that away. And uh, I didn't understand it back then. But I will tell you now, I understand what he's talking about. I think what we had was spiritual activity. Yeah. And I thought, I think we were really good at that. And not that there's anything wrong with spiritual activity, right? No. Mm -hmm. But it's not an intimacy that we are with one another spiritually today. Well, there wasn't a sharing with each other about what God was showing us about him, ourselves, or each other. Um, It's like this morning. Remember when you were talking about you were sharing something with me? Yeah, yeah. I I was sharing about the the groan that the children of Israel had. They groaned, and God heard them. Yeah. And then I went into, God hears my sigh, yeah. that I don't have to have an eloquent prayer, Yeah, that he hears me when I sigh. And I thought, you know, that's what I do with my own kids. I hear them sigh, and I say, honey, what's wrong? What's going on? Mm-hmm. And I, that's what God does with us. Hey, my yeah. girl, what, what's going on? Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. That's, that's part of our communication, you know. 
But even the phrase daily quiet times, you know, that are set up so much in the church has this idea that we do everything alone. It's just you and God. But you know what changed with us, Priscilla? I think when we when we read John 17, 21 and started understanding what Jesus was praying, because he said that he wanted all of us to be one, just like he was one with the Father. And that really gave us a new point of view on this. And so in other words, Jesus thought that our horizontal relationship with each other could be like our vertical relationship with him. And we certainly weren't like that. Yeah, six and a half years ago, you and I came to a place that we said we have to deconstruct what we have been doing, how we have been walking through this life of having these activities, but there's nothing between us. We had to begin to know each other spiritually. We had a spiritual awakening in us. With each one of us, I think. You know, even after all these years. And so we frequently say for couples in recovery, there's no silver bullet. And people hear us say that all the time. All the time. But (laughs) if there was, it would be this area of spiritual intimacy. And because it really has been the key to our recovery, because the spiritual intimacy has really led to true emotional intimacy. And then our sexual intimacy has now been an expression of what is already true in our spiritual and emotional relationship. And that has just been dramatically different than where we were for the first 28 years of our marriage. What we discovered is that the whole focus on emotional and sexual intimacy wasn't the key, which everyone was telling us it was the key. Yeah, anybody that we would ask about help, that is where we went on this thing. But the spiritual intimacy has to be the foundation because there will be days when you've got no emotional intimacy and you have no sexual intimacy. Everything is broken. And if you don't have spiritual intimacy, you've got nothing left after that. If you're banking on emotional and sexual intimacy, you'll eventually run out of gas. Well, we had to trade a study about God for an experience with him. And that's something that we did together. And this meant that our spiritual activities had to shift. Uh, from focusing solely on doing religious activities, Bible studies, missions. Which we were great at. We were. We did all the stuff. We, <laughs> so. Anytime church was open, we were there. Yeah. Okay. And, and we started to cultivate a spiritual intimacy with one another. And it's interesting that here we have spiritual intimacy, right? Emotional intimacy and physical intimacy. Both emotional and physical intimacy we spend together. Yeah. It's two people. Mm-hmm. Everybody but, knows that. Everybody knows that. You can't have either one of those things if you're not together. Yeah. But the spiritual in- intimacy, we actually put in a box that we say, well, I'm going to do this by myself. Yeah. Why, why is that? Yeah. Why, do, why do we as believers say, I'm going to do my quiet time by me? Well, you know, I think that we believe that this thing of spiritual intimacy is just between us and God. Even though Jesus said, hey, I want you to have with each other, what you have also with me and what I have with the Father, right? And not only that, but we're one. Yes. Yeah. So why are we separating in this area? Right. When they say that the two will become one flesh, that's an amazing thing. That's a spiritual combination, right? And so we have to cultivate that truth. You know, I think when we describe this to couples, they really struggle to understand what we do together. Yeah. And we want to give you a picture of that so that you can consider how your relationship can shift from date night and maybe the 30-day sex challenge, who knows, to embrace some real spiritual intimacy that can really have a significant impact on your marriage and your life. First, we spend time together every day. 
Mm-hmm. All right. We we set a time and it's very fluid. It's not prescriptive. And the only thing that w- is prescriptive, I guess, is that we read the same passage. Yeah. We follow a, a annual reading plan. reading plan. A reading yep, plan. We do. And so we do that because then we want to we, we want to share. We what, can talk about the same Bible passage. That's right. Yep. And uh, for example, we sometimes we listen to a podcast. Yeah. Or we discuss a book. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes I share a song. This, the, today I shared a song. It was upon my heart, and I shared it with you. Yeah, and I uh, loved it. <laughs> and or we read a card, or we talk about our kids. But a lot of times we're really talking about what is it that God is showing me. Yes, and I want you to know what God has showed me or what He has told me. Yeah. And I think the other big thing is if we don't complete whatever we're trying to do that day, we don't have any guilt about no. it. We we used to have guilt. I actually I had guilt that I never looked at the Bible. Yeah. Because I never could complete it. Yeah. And so it's, I, it's just better for me not to do anything. That's where my guilt was. Yeah, and I would have a guilt about not doing a 15-minute Bible time, right? right? <laughs> so <laughs> you know, I'd say today we have a longing. Yes. Right? If we miss a day or two, we have a longing. It shows yeah. up in our relationship too, it does. don't you think? It really it does. Really, really does. And so we want to share with you some questions that we use. So we've said it's not prescriptive, but there there are some big picture things that we think about as we go through this. And we want to share kind of three big picture questions with you for you to consider as you get together with your spouse. And so the first question is, what did I hear about or learn about God in this? And it really goes back to Ephesians 1.17 where Paul is saying, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And we're asking God, help me hear from you. How will I know you better? And I love that word here, right? Because it's like, it focuses on on my relationship and not my intellect, because I'm not an intellectual person. And for me to stop and say, I want to hear you speak, Lord. Mm -hmm. And it's not like I'm going to have to learn something. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to hear. I want to hear. Well, I used to have a very academic approach to reading the Bible. And so lots of study and learning, but not very much hearing. If I have to go back and really look at that, and it's because I was convinced that learning about God was equal to experiencing him. Uh, but it wasn't true. I don't know if you remember this pastor that came by to see us, wanted to talk to us. And uh, as he was here at our table, he said, you know, reading the Bible won't transform your life, Phil. And he told me that. And I was kind of offended. <laughs> because <laughs> Wait a minute. Uh, because I was a Bible reader. <laughs> yeah, you, know? you were a Bible man. I was. And then I started thinking about it. He was right. I mean, during this whole time, this 28 years, I had been reading my Bible. I'd been teaching weekly Bible studies. So why wasn't my life transformed from this? And we went a, he, he went ahead to share with us about it's not just a, a, a time of words, of reading words. It is a, an experiencing of the power that is underlying the words. And, you know, I had to look at that and say, man, that is a big change for me to now be able to hear from him and believe that he speaks to me and that there is power underlying these words to change my life. 
and change the life of people around them. And they're good. You know, (laughs) it's just completely different if we think about that. But that's a big picture question that we think about as we go through. And what am I hearing from God? What am I hearing about him? What am I discovering him? How am I knowing him better through this? And, And here's the second question. And you kind of hit on it a little bit, Phil. And that is, what did I hear about myself? So not about my spouse. Not about my spouse, no. What is God saying about me? I had to ask God to help me discover who I am in Christ. What areas in my life do I need to open up to you, Lord, to allow you to work? You know, when you think of a house and you think of all the closets and the doors and everything, we have so many in our in ourself, in our soul, yeah. right? And it's really asking and wanting, God, I want to reveal this to you. I want you to come in and tell me about me work in me. Well, there's so much to talk about on this one. It could be that I've never shared an offense, right? Or I've never forgiven somebody or I've never apologized for something. So all these things are about me that we're, oh, I'm opening up my life and say, God, show me inside. What else is it in here? Or that you've never seen a wound from your past or a lie that you've believed in. And when you see it, you're like, I need to share this with you. I I want you to know what's going on in my soul. And it's because in our sharing, we're revealing ourselves to each other. I'm letting you see what's going on inside of me. It's it's really becoming vulnerable to you, um, which has really been the key. Yeah, vulnerable like Jesus. Yes. Jesus was so vulnerable. Yes. And, you know, this step will create emotional intimacy that a thousand date nights would never do. Or even 60 days of sex. I mean, let's kick it up a notch. (laughs) Now, let's not go for, let's go for the 60, right? So I'm glad we never went down that road. Yeah. Yeah. Well, me too. And it really brings us to our last question. It's question number three. It's what am I understanding about my spouse? And And it's not what am I understanding that I can criticize about my spouse is that as my spouse is revealing themselves, what am I understanding about them? And it really comes from 1 Peter 3, 7 that says, live with your wife in an understanding way. And it means becoming a student of her. You become a student of your wife by listening to her. What is going on with her? What is she feeling? What's on her mind? What is in her heart? We've done this with one another, Mm -hmm. sitting there in the morning and just revealing to one another what we're going through. And I'm trying to understand who you are. And I would say this is probably the biggest missing component of our relationship during the first 28 years. Of course, I was hiding a whole life during this time, so I guess that's not a big sur- big surprise uh, that that would have happened. But that's that's what I think was missing during those 28 years. It's not just husbands. Wives need to know their husbands intimately. Mm-hmm. You know, they need to know what they are thinking. What are they feeling? What are the triggers? So they need to also be a student. They need to be a student of their husbands. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes both ways. And the vulnerability is a two-way street. It is. And I think I can now anticipate your triggers and help you work past them. Uh, I mean, even in group settings, I will sometimes say, hey, I bet that's been a that was a trigger for you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's been really helpful in my emotional healing. And I know it's also the same for you as well. So these are the three big picture questions, you know, that we think about as we get together. It's what do I, what am I hearing from God? What am I learning about him? Then what am I learning and discovering about myself? And then what am I 
learning and discovering about my spouse or even others around you if you're not married, right? Because it's not just me, it's us. And so that's what we're doing. And as I think back on that, Priscilla, those questions and this time that we are spending together, it's it's done much more than date night or the 30-day sex challenge could have ever have done. I'm glad that we're down this road together. I'm so glad that we are on a different path today. And I will say that our spiritual life together, our spiritual intimacy is totally different. Because even now, after six and a half years, we do have speed bumps. Oh, we do. And the only thing that that is the silver bullet is what we have <laughs> with Christ. exactly right. <laughs> This is Phil and Priscilla Fretwell. Thanks for listening. Our book, Savage Marriage, Triumph Over Betrayal and Sexual Addiction, is now available on Amazon. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Savage Marriage Ministries. Also, join our Savage Marriage community at SavageMarriageMinistries.com. And remember, it's God who is at work in your savage adventure.